Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Oilers down 2 nothing again. Again. And uh, I don't know if I was expecting the worst. I, I, I didn't know what to expect at that point. I thought they might come back because we have seen that. Mm-hmm. And they did. They won 7-3 and kind of a game that turned out to be a bit of a laugher um, by the end of it. And uh, quite a quite a strong performance by the Oilers. So what did you think of it, Bruce? Well, other than the 0-2, how'd that happen? Uh, it was uh, uh, a, a nice outburst from the boys, nice bounce back from a uh, fairly sloppy start, especially by the special teams that uh, had a rotten first uh, go of it. And only in the, uh, they gave up two goals on two power plays by Anaheim and the Oilers own two first power plays didn't get a lot done until the very end of the second one when the second unit uh, got the job done. Uh, with a great shift, they had three chances and they scored on the third one in the last 30 seconds of the power play after the first unit had done much. And I scribbled a note to you, David, I don't know if you noticed in a margin saying it. if I was Jay Woodcroft, yeah. the second unit would get the start of the next power play, no matter what, and as a, you know, a carrot and stick. Here, you, you produce, you get the next chance. And that's a, that's a reward for them and incentive that, hey, we're part of this power play unit finally. And it's also a little bit of a nudge to the to the main power play that hasn't been producing. Not sure it entirely worked because the one power play that the Oilers did get after that was also not very good. But well, I think they did get out the there, though. From a coach's standpoint, it was a perfect call. I think they did. Yeah, they, they were put out there first for the next yes, power play. And it wasn't, but it wasn't until were. much was, later in the game, until way in the third yeah. period, I believe. And yeah. Yeah, Lots but he remembered, he remembered, and he he did, to me, that was the exact perfect call, delivered a message to both units. So well, that was obviously a huge moment uh, mm-hmm. that in the first period when they got that goal right at the end. It's Made it absolutely critical. Yeah, they get that, because they've done that before where they scored uh, to make it 2-1 right at the end of the first, and they came mm-hmm. back in that game too, as I recall. I can't remember who they were playing. Well, it's been a uh, few of those uh, 0-2 down games to choose from. And they have won a f- like several times now. I'd say maybe five games that they've won from well, 0-2 down over the course yeah. of the season. This I mean, is one where they about scored... 20 opportunities, but... Yeah. <laughs> this is one where they scored right at the end of the first period again. Like, mm-hmm. if there was even less time left, I think, and there were like 10 seconds in this other oh, game. Yeah. I can't remember who it was against, though. Yeah. Um, Bruce, I'll start it off with my... Okay. This is our two good things, two bad things, and yep. two numbers. I just thought this was really a total team effort. I mean, the the Oilers were quite dominating in the end, aside from that bad start. They had 22 grade-A shots, 11 for Anaheim, 16 five-alarm shots, 16 five-alarm shots for five for the uh, Ducks. Wow. So just, you know, just stomped Anaheim. And it had all kinds of great chances in close on uh, Gibson. Scored seven goals. I mean, that's, I guess that's what it takes. Seven goals on a good goal that you're going to need 16 five alarm shots and 20, you know, as a subset of 22 grade A shots. So, um, and, and, um, not, I, I know what you have coming up as your, your good thing. And, but I do want to highlight just every, well, they only had three real lines, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we're, we're functioning. But the the third line of Fogel, Ryan, and uh, Nuge uh, sc- scored twice, and they created six grade A shots between them, six of the twenty one. So they had three lines actually that were all highly high functioning oh. lines. I mean, oh. um, every single forward line was just producing, and yes. uh, and Anaheim didn't have a lot of sustained defense or offensive pressure in the Oilers zone. I think the Oilers are going to be vulnerable to that with this defense and with young defensemen. If you come up against a team that can really play in the offensive zone, puck protect, puck protect, forecheck, cycle the puck, that team is going to give this Oilers team, just give the Oilers, this Oilers team hell. You can mm-hmm. see it coming. But Anaheim isn't really that team. They didn't strike me as a, they're not really, they're a skill team, not a power team. Right. Maybe without Getzlaff in the lineup. That changes the complexion of their team quite a bit. But, um, yeah, I'll they just – go ahead. They missed Gutslaff more than I did. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That guy's been a pain in our side oh. for a long, long time. Oh, God, Bruce, he changed the history of the Oilers franchise when he injured Andre Sekera. I mean, if Sekera was the Oilers' best defenseman, and, um, you know, Clefbaum was the best defenseman in that playoffs, but through the regular mm-hmm. seasons – for two years, Sekera had been the team's best defenseman, and suddenly he was gone. Yeah. Never the same player after never that. The same. And never the same. Never the same player, and the Oilers were never the same team because they were missing their number one left shot D-man. I just think it was a f- profoundly significant injury in the, the history of the Edmonton's uh, McDavid era uh, franchise. So, yeah, Getzlaff, Getzlaff who, who hit, it wasn't a dirty hit on Sekera. It wasn't that dirty a hit, at least by Getzlaff's... <laughs> standards it's a hard hit he's a he's just a big hard hitting mm-hmm. player and anyway yeah i didn't i'm glad he wasn't there too i was happy when i heard that so yeah the defense wasn't seriously challenged but they they played well enough i mean they only gave up five um five alarm chances and we're just getting a handle on how many you'd expect to see in a game but i think five seems to be not that five many well. yeah well. five is long. Well, five many, alarms yeah, right. five, what five. Total, what was the total grade A? Eleven grade A's. Eleven grade A's is is below average for the Oilers. They they get they give up about 12, 13 right. a game, something in there. So eleven's grade A shots is below average. So, um, yeah, and not a lot of. I didn't notice a lot of two on ones again, Bruce. This is, you know, we remember the nightmare of the right. the last days of Rome when uh, Dave Emperor Dave Tippett was still in charge and the mm-hmm. Visigoths were running wild, you know, with two on ones after two on ones. But we didn't have that. Um, we haven't had that in, in um, the last two or three games with Woodcroft. So they've really cut that down. I don't remember one tonight, do you? Maybe there was. Two on one? Uh, yeah. Or odd man rush even. Yeah, I think there was a couple that they just, they they, they didn't convert into shots. It sort of had the potential to be a two on one. And then they either, you know, made a bad pass or. It, it went awry, but uh, nothing, uh, nothing like the uh, uh, the open freeway that was Edmonton's defensive zone in uh, fairly recent times. That's that's changed a lot. I've read a lot of commentary online about how much tougher the Oilers are on the puck, harder and on their own blue line, letting guys in and uh, uh, playing more aggressively and I mean some of that's in the eye of the beholder but I think some of it's pretty real you know this is a different looking team than we were seeing two weeks ago so Bruce what's your good thing 
Yeah, I'm just going to single out the three stars, as I believe chosen by Louis DeBrusque. It just says here by Sportsnet. Uh, first star, Derek Ryan. Second star, Ryan McLeod. Third star, Warren Fogle. So three Oilers forwards, none of them named McDavid or Drysaddle. Both those guys, of course, had two points. But guess what? All three of these guys had two points as well, as did two other Oilers forwards. They had seven, count them, seven forwards with two points in this game. And then they had three more with one point, and only the, uh, the relatively little-used Devon Shore was held off the score sheet. And otherwise, it was they were getting scoring up and down the lineup. Uh, Derek Ryan, who I think has been playing terrific hockey since uh, he's moved to right wing, who knew? And they put him on right wing with the Nuge, and all of a sudden he's... Uh, uh, he's all over the place like he was playing some really good hockey and again he scored the tying goal in this game uh he scored a pretty uh, uh his last goal was a pretty important goal in the time of the game it came as well uh, yeah but this one uh, tied the score on a on a nice deflection which was how anaheim had scored their first two goals uh and ryan made a good play to set this whole sequence up in the first place gaining yeah. gaining the zone and sort of establishing the possession and then it was kind of a nothing play. It went around the boards. It went back to the point. CC let an outside shot go, and there's Ryan getting a piece of it with his stick, and into the net she goes. Kind of a nondescript play, but uh, but we'll take it. He later earned an assist, and I thought, you know, fairly deserving. I mean, I like the, I like the concept of let's recognize some of the role players on the orders because they they played well. Uh, ditto Ryan McLeod. Man, he had two beauty assists. This game, one on the power play where he set up across to uh, uh, to Evander Kane uh, for the uh, wicked wrist shot that made it two to one. And this was seconds after he'd made another great pass from behind the net to Darnell Nurse in the slot, and John Gibson had made a great save. And at this point, it's two nothing, and Gibson stopping everything. And I'm going, boy, I don't like this deficit with the goalie playing like that. But they solved him on the next play on a on a pass by. Uh, uh, by um, McLeod, and then he made a gorgeous pass. He touched the puck twice. He got it ahead to Kane. He took the return pass from Kane as he busted into the zone, made a beautiful cross-ice feed that Drysaddle basically tapped into the open side of the net. That made it 4-2. That was a game winner. Uh, and I just, I liked his game. Like, he was skating well. He was all over the ice. Wish he'd shoot more. That's the only thing, but uh, he's... Uh, He's he's really becoming a force out there, and and in the interview uh, they had with him between periods, he talked about how uh, having fun and 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 you know the fact that he knows the co- new coaching staff and they know him has an advantage, and this is true of a lot of these uh, uh, young players. And then the third star, Warren Fogle, another one goal, one assist, two points, plus two, four shots on net. You know, and just buzzing around and uh, making himself useful for Edmonton and a pain in the butt for the other team, and that's what you want to see out of that guy. And really, all these guys, they 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 took advantage, I think, of the fact Anaheim played last night. Yeah. And just took it to him and skated, skated, outskated them over the course of the of the uh, 60 minutes. What was the, the last fact time they were getting all the lines producing was? Uh, yeah. When do you think the last time Bruce the Oilers had a good third line? Because we've had now a run of games here where this is this is actually it's kind of mind blowing. They have a functional third line. 
Like Fog- and it's a it's an interesting combination of players. Fogel mm-hmm. providing a lot of the muscle and hustle, and and Ryan a very smart player. You know, you take a player off center and put him on the wing. That's a huge <laughs> benefit. There's just so much more responsibility, difficulty playing center than the wing. And uh, but you know, Kyle Turris got moved from center to the wing, and he he didn't get any better. Right. But Derek Ryan, Derek Ryan has been trending up actually. He has he started off well. He 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 really went down for about a month. But ever since then, he has been trending up, up, up. And now that he's been put on the wing, he's really taken off offensively in terms of making plays. So, and then, in, you know, Nuge is playing really solid hockey at center, I have to say. Um, I've been a skeptic of him uh, somewhat at center. Uh, but he's getting the job done. And, you know, it's kind of eliminated uh, talk of the need to trade for a third-line center. So, um, yeah, when, I'm just trying to think, when was the last time uh, Michael like, Pecco between Rafi Torres and Fernando Pisani. That was well, what about 2016-17? They had a variety, variety of how they did it, but yeah. for sure, I mean they had they had, uh, uh, I mean they had um, uh, David and Drysaddle was one, and then they broke them up. So then you'd have Nuge, Luch, and Eberly was a third line, but they weren't very good in the playoffs. Yeah, they didn't score. They didn't score in the playoffs. They were really hot down the stretch of the season yes. when the Oilers had a super hot winning streak. Down, I think they went twelve and two in their last yeah. fourteen, and and it was like everybody was scoring. But anyway, so that's the last time. That quite a while. Third line was during that stretch. Mm-hmm. Then it didn't last into the playoffs. Who knows how long this will last um, with these three players? But it's it's looking good. It's an interesting uh, combination of skills. Um. And they, you know, they can all skate. They all hustle. Nuge and Ryan are very smart hockey players, I think. Yes. And Fogel is quite a rambunctious one. So we'll see. I like it. Really worked great, tonight. Great pass Nuge made to Fogel for his goal. But Nuge was the third yeah. wheel on his own line tonight. He's the only one that had only one point, And he was the only one that wasn't picked as the star. <laughs> and he had a pretty good game, you know, but. Anyway, it was a, it was a good game for a lot of players. I'm going to be giving out some uh, some fairly consistently high grades, I think, especially for forwards in this game. Yeah, it might average seven or seven point five, like the grades. I mean, just who didn't have a good game? Just one good game after another, and like maybe a couple of great games in there. So uh, bad a things. Couple of bones to pick. All right, other parts of the lineup, but nothing right. too serious. I mean, yes, they won by yeah. four goals. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, the player I'm going to single out of is my bad thing was not that bad, but he did look. Um, you know, I've raved enough about Philip Broberry in different circumstances that I think it's fair to criticize him now and then. He he is he's a work in progress. I'm not sure he belongs right now in the NHL. Honestly, we've I've seen him play a different game, a much more active game. He seems kind of he seems kind of sleepwalking around, Bruce, like kind of slow. Um, moving and not really battling. And um, certainly on the power play goal that he was out for for Anaheim, he just gave the, and this was remarked on in the broadcast, I think maybe Louis DeBrusque remarked on Mm -hmm. it, just gave the, I think it was Trevor Zagros, all kinds of time with the puck to make a play. You just can't do that. I mean, you got to, he, he read it wrong. He didn't take away the pass down low, and he gave him all kinds of time. And, of course, Trevor Zegers made a great pass into the slot um, for a, a tip goal. So 
he looked bad there. Then he was caught on, and there was another. He was out for another five alarm chance in the second period, and he was just kind of slow coming back up the ice, mm-hmm. um, cruised into the slot. Now there was two players when he got there, so it was hard to cover two guys. And one of them, this was the play where they they the the Anaheim shooter thought he had scored, and there was a long discussion, video discussion about whether the puck had gone in. Well, Broberry was the guy who was supposed to cover in front, along with some other mystery player who was wiped out in the corner, I think. Ryan McLeod had made a turnover on this particular play. Right. He, I think he got wiped out in the corner. He kind of put it up the boards and it was, it was picked off at the boards and put on net. Anyway, he, Philip Broberry is, he's big, he's fast, but he's not really, um, I think players get tentative, Bruce. This is what you notice. They, they flash mm-hmm. some talent when they come up. Then they get out there and they just, they just are not playing hockey. And then if they stick around long enough, there comes a point where they realize, like, I'm not going to make it here. I'm going to get sent down. I'm going to, I'm going to, and then they, then they get desperate and then they go for it. So I don't know if they're going to wait for that to happen or if they're just going to send him down. I guess it, they'll probably keep him because they need him until Chris Russell comes back. I don't know when he's coming back or Duncan Keith, one or the right. other. So he might not go anywhere in the short term, but Marcus right. Niemelainen and, and William Lagosin are definitely outplaying him. Yes. And he is definitely not playing his A game. He's not playing his B game. He's playing his C or D game, his really passive game that comes with, I think, feeling things out and being tentative and unsure of yourself. That's how I read his play um, right now, because I've seen him try to exert, force his will onto the game. Um, uh, and that's not what we're seeing now. And it would be hard for him to do that, frankly, as a rookie in the NHL. I mean, he's going to, he's a defenseman who's going to have to feel his way up and get experienced and get more confidence that way. So I'm not down on the player and I know many people are really upset and tonight we'll put an exclamation mark on that, that the owners didn't draft Trevor Zegras. Zegras beating him one-on-one on that play is uh, going to just be a, clarion call to the critics of the draft pick in the first place or they'll get out there dare i say after the fact but many many were critical right at the time that Zegers was the best player available and he sure made Brovery look like a rube on that play he just held the puck and he changed the passing angle and Brovery just stood in place like he was rooted to the spot and what really bugged me and this is second game in a row that he's been directly involved in a goal on a pass through his lane he did nothing with his stick yeah like use your freaking stick man i mean get it in the lane swave it around get chipped puck you know at least present a wide stance of your body plus your stick and he's just kind of standing there with a stick by his side and the pass goes right by his feet and right onto the goal scorer stick Two games in a row. Yeah, he's six Not four good. or six three. Like he's a great yeah. big rangy guy. Like be yeah. active out there, man. Like yeah. get in, get into the game. But again, uh, he's not doing that, and mm-hmm. I just take it as a sign of being a bit overwhelmed. Um, yeah. And I don't know if I don't know if that's the case. But having seen mm-hmm. this player again, I think that is the case. That's my read. Not quite ready for prime time. I think he's closer this time than he was last time. But I think he's still on the. On the learning curve, and that, that's one thing he's going to have to figure out, or he will never make it. I'm sorry to say, but you got to figure that out. You got to, I mean, your stick is your, you know, it's your livelihood. <laughs> you got to be able to deploy it, especially in the, you know, passing lanes and so on. When the other guys have the puck, it's still your best weapon to get the puck back off of them. You know, I didn't see, I haven't seen him play in Bakersfield this year. I've just been too busy 
coaching and playing to to comment on his play down there. So I don't know how well he, how good he's looked or bad he's looked. So um, both. both, which is that's mostly, typical. Mostly good. Like and he, I mean, okay. he's like way up. I think he's got the you know he's he's a big out scorer down there, and he's got like very good points rates and stuff. He's had some very good games. And, and he has these lapses that from time to time that you'd expect from any young player and a couple of real stinker games. But it takes, it can take time, especially it's, you know, modern NHL, it takes time. It, things happen so fast out there and you just have to be very confident as a defenseman. So I'm, I'm uh, confident that Dave Manson will make the exact same points that I just made to uh, Philip Brobery, and he may even include sprinkle it with a couple of extra adjectives that I don't usually use on a family podcast. Just guessing, or maybe maybe it's the tender kid gloves treatment. We don't know the we don't know the personalities, but well, uh, it has to be it has to be addressed. Has to be addressed. Uh, you know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know what what his bedside manner is as a coach, so to speak. Like, um, you know, and the we do know that the old screaming, kicking, yelling, cursing kind of coach is no longer in style. Um, it, it, that kind of that kind of character mm-hmm. is not in style in the corporate world. I mean, when I started out at my newspaper, the Journal, there there was those managers, Bruce, still who were the the you know. Cursing, screaming, kicking, you know, yelling managers, right? There's, and they're just that kind of, I, I don't know, I don't work in another workplace. I can't say if it's gone elsewhere, but it's gone, it's been gone from the journal for a long time. And I suspect that at most workplaces, that kind of behavior. Uh, and I, and from what I hear of the NHL, I mean, I'm not around in that milieu where we're fans in the stands mm-hmm. or fans on our coach. We don't know that. But from what, you know, what Bob Stoffer says on the radio, he makes it clear that that kind of coaching is is on the way out as well. So yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you this: if Jay Woodcroft was running our podcast, we would immediately have to change the name to Four Good Things, One Bad Thing," because apparently that's <laughs> the ratio that he presents uh, opportunities to improve. I think it's his terminology for when guys make mistakes, and and he asks the video guy apparently to isolate on the bad play, but to find four other similar plays and similar situations where that player did the right thing. And then they present the five pack to him and say, see, this is how you've done it in the past that it worked. And this is what you didn't do on this play. And look what happened. Pucks in the net. And I, I love it. I think that's, that's, that's ideal, especially with young players. Well, the golden, this is, you know, coaches have been talking for some time now, like the last 15, 20 years about the golden ratio of five compliments to one criticism. So he's built, he's, he's doing that visually, right? With visual instruction, which is such a great way to teach people if you have access to that video. And yeah, I, yeah, I have to say, Bruce, I like the, (laughs) I like the way Jay Woodcroft wears his face mask. (laughs) He's going to get a Amarjeet, so he's going to come to the bench and arrest him personally uh, <laughs> for setting a bad example for us Edmontonians. Uh, Maybe he's eating a hot dog. You're allowed to, you know. He's got a little. He's got a little whiskey he's, bottle in his pocket. A, there you go. I'm just having a sip now and then. <laughs> would you like his? Would you like a nip, Amarjeet? <laughs> That's so, exactly it. Yeah. So levity notwithstanding, my bad thing is anything but, and that is the injury suffered by Yes Pugliarvi, fan favorite. Uh, yes Pugliarvi, who did score tonight, uh, 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 the goal that put the orders ahead to stay, 
Uh, I may have tweaked something on that very play because he only had one shift that lasted 20 seconds either afterwards. So either he went in the ice and something happened right away or he went in the ice, took a lap and went, oh, this isn't right. I better get off. And they just took a precautionary, take the rest of the night off. Yes, uh, we've got this. And uh, they did have this. And so at the moment, I mean, if it's a minor thing, then it's not that bad of a thing. But potentially it would be a very bad thing to lose that player for Alex time he's he's so much fun to watch for for starters but he does thing I mean he got that goal but earlier in the game he made a fantastic short pass in the neutral zone that put McDavid in alone on goal oh yeah yes was hustling on the back and he just scooped the puck back in the right direction and McDavid was on it and and only uh John Gibson prevented that from being a an assist for uh for JP and I thought he was playing pretty good but then you know, he was gone after eight minutes and 55 seconds was all he got to play in this game. And he basically was gone midway. I wonder if he didn't extend, hyperextend something on that goal, goal. you know, mm-hmm. and it's too bad he's gone. He's got the hot skate going. So you never want to lose the guy with the hot skate. Mm. Uh, I thought for sure he had one timer that in the net, but then the replay obviously shows him missing it completely. And it goes in off his skate. Yeah, he's he's been playing a lot better the last two or three games. Um, he's looked uh, like his old self, quite energetic and effective, and he's he's a good two-way hockey player. as a pulley RV. He's 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 a solid NHL player, and um, they will miss him if he's if he's out for any amount of time. Maybe it, maybe it means they call up Holloway. I don't know if if they would be ready to do that, but um, I wonder. Um, so numbers, Bruce, I'll start off with my number. My numbers are 8, 8, and 13 out of 18. So the orders, since Evander Kane um, joined the lineup nine games ago, there's been 18 mm-hmm. points up for grabs for the orders, and they've gotten 13 of 18. Six wins, two losses, and a loser point shootout loss. So, there, you know, there was... There was genuine concern about Kane on a number of levels, but just dealing with the hockey level... There was concern about him, you know, getting along with his teammates, the kind of player he is, the kind of person he is. And um, he is he has not been a team killer in any way yet. I mean, the team seems to be thriving with him and he's thriving. Um, mm-hmm. This is where the two other numbers, eight and uh, eight, come in. He's plus eight goals, uh, plus minus. And and again, I think that's a nice. crappy stat, but it can, but it can be indicative of a good player. And in this case, mm-hmm. it is. He's killing it as a two-way player right now. He's he's been exceptionally good both on the attack and on defense. Playing at just a really high level for a winger. And uh he's been strong on the power play, directs a lot of shots on net. So uh and he's got eight points to show for it for his offensive contribution. So everything so far is working out well with Kane. He's an interesting player. The puck isn't on his stick very much at all. And right. that makes him They've got him with um, they've got him with Drysaddle now, yep. but I wonder if that doesn't make him a better player in the end for McDavid with Hyman with Drysaddle, and we still haven't seen that Hyman Drysaddle combination, which I've actually been hoping to see because there's mm-hmm. you know the two master puck protectors and physical players with the puck. I'd love to see them together, but Hyman is um, he kills it, which which with whatever line he's on, but um, yeah, they've got these you know Bruce. We sometimes wonder, like, are the Oilers a better team than in the past? Like, have they built up? Did Ken Holland do anything? 
Man, he's added Zach Hyman and Evander Kane. These are two excellent two-way top six wingers. And it's just a dramatic change for the Oilers, you know, in terms of who they can play with, Dreisaitl and McDavid. And uh, That's right. I think Evander Kane's been, uh, yeah. He, everything I, I was hoping, I, I, I don't know what I was hoping to see because I didn't have a good read on his game, but I've, I've really liked his game so far. Well, tonight he had, uh, I'm going to call it the Vander Kane hat trick because, you know, it's a kind of a, a hackneyed term. But uh, he, he scored a goal, had an assist, and drew a penalty. And, you know, he had uh, he had three shots on net. He had six hits to lead the Oilers. And he was in the middle of a stuff, you know. There was two or three scrums around him. And, you know, nothing like filthy, dirty, or, or, or brutal. But he, you know, he engages. Yeah. And that's um that's been a shortcoming on this team i would say for for a while he's averaging about four hits a game Mm -hmm. with the oilers so that's a lot of hits yeah yeah i mean tonight he played 20 and a half minutes like he's gotten a big ice time and i think he's starting to you know at first it was clear he was rusty and he was maybe not at tip-top shape and speed and stuff and that's start that's starting to come you know, I mean, he's getting his reps. He's played nine games now. I would hope he's starting to come around. And uh, pretty hard to argue, you know, uh, four goals, four assists, plus eight, 12 penalty minutes, you know, and, and uh, uh, he's been uh, uh, becoming increasingly a factor. So, yeah, what's your number, Bruce? My number is 15 and 5, and that is his goals for and against by the Oilers this week in beating, soundly beating all three California teams in a row. 3 nothing in San Jose, yes. 5 2 in Los Angeles, 7 3 at home against Anaheim. And you got to love it. Now, I will grant you that the <laughs> LA game was a lot closer than 5 2, two late empty netters, but. Uh, Scoreboard says they won by three, and I'm not going to argue with the scoreboard. I'd lose. So I won't call that one a thrashing, but they drubbed San Jose, and they completely took over this game tonight against Anaheim. And these are games they have to win. Well, guess what? They actually won the games they have to win, and the games you would hope they should win against a team that uh, maybe doesn't quite measure up to them. And the fact they've been losing too many games against lower teams in the standings, I looked to maybe two weeks ago at the All-Star break, and they had played uh, against the bottom six or seven teams in the NHL, and their record was like five, four, and two. So they actually had won, not even, they won a minority of the games, got a couple of loser points. Uh, And at the same time, they were like 0-5 against the top teams in the league. And you think, well, you you either got to start beating those top teams or you better, better be beating all the time the bottom and middle teams and anyway they took care of business this week with uh by taking out all three of those uh california teams which we haven't seen much of in the last two years but which we quickly identify as hated long-term rivals at least i do and i'm pretty sure i'm not alone i really hate those teams <laughs> they just beat up on the orders in the decade of darkness that's the that's the oh, memory that sticks out is going to california just getting the snot kicked out of the, the orders again and again and again all three mm-hmm. of those teams just pounding on the orders and mm-hmm. wrecking them and the heavy hockey that they played and it was yeah. just brutal yeah 
that one year, I mean, there was one year where the average NHL forward, I did a story on it, the average NHL forward weighed 204 pounds and the heaviest order forward was Sam Gagne at 202 pounds. And they would go into, you know, Anaheim or they, and they'd be Getzlaff, Perry, uh, what's his pickle, uh, Kessler, all these oh, big God. skilled guys, you know, and they would yeah. just overpower the orders in the physical battles, win all the board battles, and then they could stick the puck in the net. And 7-3 would be the score, yeah. right? But not, not for the good guys. So I don't mind uh, dragging them through the mud a little bit. And, and uh, I mean, and I don't think Budkoff did anything to run up the score tonight. He just, you know, no. he just rolled his lines. At the end of the game, he had like his eighth, ninth, and tenth forwards out there. He had Shore and Nuge's spot uh, with uh, playing, centering the third line, and he had all the stars resting on the bench and playing it out. But yeah, the Oilers are, um, they, you know, they were behind due to the COVID situation. They had been behind what six, seven games that they had to make up. They've made up those games on most of the teams. And they've caught up to most of them. The only, you know, the only team that's uh, really ahead of them in significantly in their division is Calgary, which is a plus fifty-two goal differential. The yeah, Calgary Flames, right? Now. Holy moly, they must be playing good hockey. Um, or in their goal a game. Yeah, that, that's 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 amazing. Really- that's that's a, a Stanley Cup contending kind of number right now yes. for the Calgary Flames. So uh, hopefully they'll fall apart and collapse, but um, we can. Or, or sooner. Um, but they've caught up to Vegas. You know, they're close to Vegas and they've per- surpassed in terms of points totals. They've surpassed Los Angeles and Anaheim right now. Uh, you, you can never, you know, they can't get complacent about that. They're ahead of Vancouver and San Jose comfortably. Um, so it's it's looking a lot better, Bruce, than it was when they fired the head coach four games ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's... It's quite an amazing thing, eh? Like Wood, Woodcroft has come in, you know, and he's got that swagger, you know, of not wearing that mask properly, you know, to hell with the rules. I'm going to do it my way. And uh, mm. the team's picking up on that. And uh, <laughs> anyway, what's your number? Yeah, well, that, well, my number was 15 and 5. Oh, sorry. And so that, that uh, the goals for and against are 3-0-0 oh, oh against the California oh, yeah, okay. teams. That sounds good too, doesn't it? It does. That does. Yeah. Yeah. I got so busy gloating there over the the rest of yeah. how we're beating the, the the California teams. I've forgotten you'd given that that stat. All right, Bruce. The next game is Saturday afternoon at two o'clock afternoon. against the Winnipeg Jets. Yikes. Who do you think how we'll see? Have... Koskinen. Uh, I expect so. They'll go with Koskinen in Winnipeg and and come back with Smith in the home game versus Minnesota. But uh, I'd be very surprised if either guy gets both games. Let's put it that way. I mean, Koskinen, they've just brought him back, and they, you know, uh, they were right probably not to rush him into the lineup tonight. And uh, I mean, Smith is here, and he's uh, presumably the. Uh, uh, the starter at, at this moment in time, but I, it'll be interesting to see how the splits go. There's so many back-to-backs and, you know, compressed schedules that, uh, I mean, this week it's probably going to work out. They play five and seven days, and Smith will play three, and uh, Koskinen and Skinner will each get one. You know, I mean, they're, they're uh, 
they're going to need their resources to get through these these tough bits. And this next while, I mean, this 4-0-0 run is very nice. Let's see where we are five games from now after they've played at Winnipeg, home to Minnesota, and then at Florida, at Tampa, at Carolina. I think that's the order. Anyway, those three teams, wicked road trip. No. Uh, the good news, they're playing well, and I expected them to get some sort of results out of that those games. I just don't expect them to win them all, which is what they've been doing so far under uh, seven days, four wins for the new coaching team. Yeah, this weekend, those are two tough games. Winnipeg, a desperate Winnipeg team, you know, desperate, and a, and a very good Minnesota mm-hmm. team. So, yikes. Anyway, yep. that's, that's hockey. The Oilers yeah. are a pretty good team, too. Well, if they play like they're playing now, they're not going to be an easy out for anybody. You know, they're, yeah, they're, they're really bring, bringing the hard team play. And they're paying a lot of attention. You know, it's not perfect, of course, but they're, they're paying a lot more attention and being a lot more challenging on the puck. They're not giving up as much free stuff. Yeah. Robbery notwithstanding. Yeah, the even strength play has really taken off, but with the power play, not so much, and the penalty killing still an issue, and the goaltending is still a question mark. So, well, I guess strength. this is. Go ahead. Six to one at even strength tonight. Yeah. And I, Stoffer, Bob Stoffer was talking about them being plus nine in their last eleven games or something at five on five, which is a huge turnaround. Like they've been, they've been underwater at five on five all year and for several years you know like even last year when they were second in the canadian division they were actually minus one at five on five and they made all their hay on special teams so right now the special teams have gone dry but the five on five play has been excellent yeah well maybe the power play will heat it up again like you know it's no maybe it will it's it'll come it's just i'm starting to get impatient it's been way too long like it's been two months that they've been down in the dumps but it'll come I really think they need to go with stick with Evan Bouchard at this point on the power play. I, I ran the numbers that, you know, our numbers for who's making contributions. And, and Bouchard makes way more contributions to grade A shots than either Nurse or Barry. And Barry leaks a lot of chances against. Like, he's actually, the, of, the, of the three players, he's the last one you'd want out there because he's really struggled um, giving up uh, grade A shots against when he's on the, the, the power play quarterback. Oh. So he, he's not getting it done as well offensively. And, you know, Bouchard's just, I think it's time to make the change. But we'll see, we'll see what happens there. McDavid and Dreisaitl, 68 points each. Tied for lead. Tied for lead. lead. Got to like Thanks. it. Leon alone in first now, 35 goals. One, one easy finish off the great McLeod pass, but the other goal was all Leon with a, using that big side of his to pick off a pass, Hampus Lindholm pass, deflect it into the slot, jump on it, and then rifle the bullet over Gibson's shoulder. That was a that was a nice goal. Um, and a final shout out to the Canadian women's Olympic team. <sighs> and I feel kind of bad, Bruce. Um, you know, in previous Olympics, we've tracked that team. We've done scoring chances and stuff. And like, if I'm completely honest, the fact that it was in China this this time just has really taken away my interest in the Olympics. Um, that country's got a lot of marks against it right now. We won't get into it, but I just can't get pumped. But I did watch most of the game, the Canadian women's game, and and just, just because of the fact that a number of Canadians, I think, are like me and 
not as excited about the Olympics as they've been in the past. Doesn't take away from the tremendous accomplishment of those uh, women. What what a great group of players. And awesome. the game was a little bit, again, it was played without a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. And that detracts considerably from a sporting event. Yeah. Um, but it was still a hell of an effort uh, by that Canadian team. They looked, they looked like, uh, you know, the Americans have been come, like, coming on in terms of their skill and have looked like the better team in a lot of ways in this, you know, this epic battle between these two, two hockey nations. But this team Canada looked better than the Americans and I'm, and they, they deserved the win and congratulations to all of those players. For myself, I've been watching and enjoying the Olympics to me. Good. I mean, the home Good. country is the home country. Uh, to me, the community that I'm following is one I call the Olympic village, the athletes. This is their big chance to be a showpiece once every four years, and uh, I enjoy most of the sports. I've always loved the Winter Olympics. This is my 16th. I've missed any of them. It's uh, it's well, it's, it's funny. You know, even all these sort of tricks. No, on what's funny is only sports. you would know how many Olympics that you've watched, oh, Bruce. Like, not that hard. <laughs> I know it's not that I just divide by four, but <laughs> no, you have to I, add. You have to add one because there was they, they squeeze another one, squeezed yeah. another one in there. Yeah. Yeah, Albertville and Lillehammer in 92-94. So, yeah, 64 was my first. And anyway, it's uh, uh, it's uh, I, I enjoy the Olympics. And, I mean, the hockey, the men's hockey has been fairly boring. Lots of low-scoring games. and, and uh, But the women's hockey, the, the, you know, very action-packed. And that gold medal game was uh, quite thrilling. You know, Marie-Philippe Poulain. Not only has she scored the uh, gold medal goal in three different Olympic games, in all three of those games, she scored the last two goals for Canada in the gold medal game. And she did it again yesterday. She got put them up 2 nothing and 3 nothing, and, and the last one turned out to be the winner. Well, in 2010, she scored the only two goals, and the Edmonton native Shannon Zavados got to pitch the shutout, and they beat USA 2 nothing. That was when she was very young. Marie Philip was, you know, 12 years younger than now. And then in 2014, she's got the tying goal in the last minute with the goalie out and the golden goal in overtime. And they beat Americans 3-2 that time, too. In 2018, she only scored one goal in the gold medal game, so they, they, they lost in the shootout. But, I mean, talk about clutch. Four gold medal games, seven goals. And if you add it up in those four games, Canada scored... 10 goals. Marie Philip Poulin scored seven goals. <laughs> you know, that's beyond Gretzky in domination. So, first ballot Hall of Famer, she's one of those ones. She should get sort of the Gordie Howe, Jean Beliveau, Bobby Orr treatment, Wayne Gretzky treatment. When she retires, they just immediately just bring her into the next class of the Hall of Fame without the waiting period. That's me speaking in the afterglow of an Olympic gold medal, but I mean, she really has been a fantastic player for Canada. Darnell's uh, cousin Sarah set the all-time record for 18 points in the Olympic. And, you know, there was just good stories up and down the, the lineup, and uh, they came came through when it mattered most. TV, I'm just reading TV ratings for the Olympics are historic lows. I'm sure. About half of what they got for Pyeongchang, which mm-hmm. was also a oh. terrible um, time zone issue, you know, for in terms of watching it. Anyway, I, I, 
I, I might, maybe I'll pick it up now. Maybe I'll start watching it because I agree. Like these are Canadian athletes and there's, uh, well, they've been working, they have been working hard for a long time and there's spectacular athletes and it's, and it's a lot of fun, the, the different events, but, uh, I See, I better here, get, better I get at for, it quick because it's going to be over soon. I live for stuff like this. The Finnish cross-country skier, he skied, I think it was 50 kilometers, he won the gold medal and he waited on the course for every last one of his competitors to cross the finish line to congratulate them for competing in the Olympics. And he waited like forever. I think it was a Mexican that finished, you know, 171st or whatever it was in the race, like an hour later. <laughs> and he's still out there waiting for the guy to cross the finish line. I think that's sportsmanship. That's the that's the the sportsman's ideal that, you know, I remember as a kid thinking this is why I'm to be watching olympics and you still got these moments and then you got these other moments where the ioc banishes a uh, a snowboard because it has the wrong logo that isn't a sponsor on there's all this kind of bs uh, that goes on you know I, I talk about issues with china i have issues with the ioc but i still watch the sports i have issues with the nhl man and i still watch that sport you know sometimes the organization is uh little bit how the sausage is made but uh, the product can still be uh, uh quite enjoyable you just uh well think about it like if we had yeah. been alive in 1936 and decided you know and if you didn't watch it you would have missed jesse owens and the great display that he had right so yes, um there's big there's big and important moments um even if it is in a country that uh, uh isn't the best yeah, well, there's a few of those countries out there. <laughs> there is, Bruce. I'll just leave that right there. There is, there is. And there has been throughout history. All right, thanks, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>